Welcome in Braves Today, bravestoday.com. I'm managing editor Lindsey Crosby, joined by MLB Hall of Famer, Braves legend John Smoltz. John, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so you've obviously been uh, very in tune with MLB's ever since you retired. And what we saw the Atlanta Braves do last season was one of, one of the best offenses in baseball history. In your prime, how does 1996 John Smoltz attack that Braves lineup last year and, and try to make it through a start? Well, the biggest thing is, you know, it starts with the leadoff hitter and Acuna. I mean, he sets the mm -hmm. table for everything and you cannot allow him to get on base. And I know we're in a different time and rule changes are re-engaging stolen base in action again. That's great. Mm -hmm. um, but if you've got a lineup that just pounds and just swings and misses a lot, that 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 advantage goes to me. But mm -hmm. what the Braves are able to do is cut down the strikeouts, pound, hit homers, and steal bases, and create a, a, just a so much tension on the pitcher that that we hadn't seen a lineup do in a long time. So I probably would have given up my share of home runs against this team. <laughs> uh, I would have had my share of strikeouts. But the one thing that I prided myself on is that you weren't going to steal off me, or at least it was going to be difficult to steal. So in today's game, pitchers have more stress on them, and they've got to be able to maintain the running game because if you can run and you have athleticism in your lineup, you're going to be successful. Yeah, and, and stolen bases is something that we saw Ronald Acuna do a lot last year, but outside of that, I think only two other Braves had double-digit stolen bases. Is is more running up and down the lineup something you think Atlanta should look to add this year, or is that offense good enough as is? I think how you create your roster is going to be benefactor. You're going to be a benefactor or not. The, the, the Diamondbacks were more um, threat to run than they were actually running, right? I mean, they did do a lot of stolen bases, but the Cincinnati Reds were the best at it. Mm -hmm. So they didn't they didn't translate that into a playoff appearance. appearance. But I think, again, if you just sit back and try to hit the three-run homer, then that club is going to be exposed by some really elite pitching that ex that exists in the game. I think if you have the threat and you have the flexibility in your lineup to put speed in there that creates problems and then gives the hitters better pitches to hit, that's why the Atlanta Braves were so good. And, you know, one guy can do that, but if you have multiple guys in your lineup, then all of a sudden you've just become lethal. And I think that's what the game is returning to. In my era, it was so difficult to get the leadoff hitter out because you knew if he got on, he was going to create the, the challenge for pitchers to give the hitters better pitches to hit because you had to pay attention to those guys because they were all all there for speed and, steal, and stealing bases. Yeah, and then talking about your time in the game, your rotation, you, uh, Maddox, Glavin, that was kind of considered one of the greatest rotations in not only Braves history, but probably in, in MLB history. Now that Atlanta's added Chris Sale to go with Spencer Strider, Max Fried, Charlie Morton, is this the best rotation Atlanta's had since you were on the mound with Mad Dog and Glav, or have there been others in the meantime that could kind of meet meet it? Yeah, I think there's others that 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 compete for a yearly basis. That there's definitely teams and the Braves staffs that have had better years, but that's mm -hmm. not what we were modeled after. We were modeled right. after consistency year in and year out. So ten year run was incredible. Mm -hmm. But I think for this year, it's going a lot's going to be on the on the health of that rotation. You yeah. saw last year what happened when they got banged up, and that, that hurt them down the stretch. So I think if they can stay healthy and Chris Sale can return, not to the, the old Chris Sale, just, just the moderate Chris Sale is going to be phenomenal. You've got experience. You've got a flexibility of right and left-handed. you got some power, and I think it gives them the ability to na na navigate any kind of lineup they're going to go through. Yeah, having both righties and lefties, two of each, 
you know, in both vertical working pitchers and horizontal working pitchers feels like it covers every possible scenario. Do you think Atlanta adding so many lefties to their bullpen is a strategic decision to have more options on the back end, or is it just they went and got the best relievers available? I think combination of both. You look at some of the hitters that they have to get out in their division to win the division. Some of those great Mm -hmm. hitters are left-handed, and I think that's a big part of what you're trying to navigate. But you have to have flexibility. And I I maintain this simple philosophy that is very difficult to – to navigate three hot hitters, three hot starting pitchers, and three hot relievers. They don't have to be the same at, throughout the year, but if you have that combination in your lineup, one third of your lineup, if you got three guys going well, it's going to be tough to, to beat. If you have three fifths of your rotation going well, it's going to be tough to beat, and three bullpen arms, it'll be very tough to beat. You saw what the Texas Rangers were able to do when they got in the postseason. They didn't have three, they had two and a half maybe at times, but they navigated an incredible journey to win a championship that nobody saw coming on the route that they went through. So there are so many components that are different in the postseason than the regular season. It's not fair to say that that formula works well come postseason. I just think you got to get guys healthy and hot at the right time to make that tournament run. Yeah, and hopefully the Braves go a bit deeper this year than they were able to in the last couple seasons. I want to ask real quick, you're in uh, Orlando right now, the Lake Nona Country Club for the Hilton Grand Vacation Tournament of Champions. Tell us more about your participation in the event and what you're looking to do this week. Yeah, this is a phenomenal event. This is the kickoff to the LPGA Tournament of Champions. All those that have won the year prior get to come here and kick off the year. Watching four rounds of that and competing in a tournament that has our own prize, of course, for the celebrity version is is a great time of the year. Uh, It will be a little chillier than normal in Florida, but Florida is always the place to be when everybody else is freezing. But competition drives it, and of course, the cause and the and the, the charitable comp- component is is phenomenal. So, I, I love competing. Um, I loved competing when I was putting on a Braves uniform for 21 years. I then competed 10 years in, in uh, high level basketball until my my hips gave out, and now I have two new hips, and my body is, other than my shoulders, relatively better. And I just love competing, and I want to see where I can take my golf game. The celebrities that are here this year, are, it's a loaded field. So if I were able to win, I would think that'd be one of the best uh, tournaments I have to play because some of these guys are young, strong, and headed a long ways. Outside of you, who's probably the favorite from the celebrities this week? You think who are you watching and saying I got to keep up with that guy? Well, always Marty Fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's elite. Mark Mulder. Uh, you got newcomers now, and Jeff McNeil, who's fantastic. Uh, Aaron Hicks hits at 350 yards off the tee. Derek Lowe. There's a lot of guys this year yeah. that, and of course, let's not forget about the greatest of all time, Annika. It's her, yeah. her, her home course. She's competing. Mm-hmm. She's always in the mix. And that's the, the names I look for. When I don't see those names on the scoreboard, I feel like something's cr- crazy happening. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I was fortunate enough about four or five years ago to win twice, two times in a row in this event. And I'm looking to try to get back into the fold, you know, um, I just don't I just don't go about things in in life just saying, ah, whatever happens, happens. I mean, I want to win and I want to beat those people I just mentioned. Yeah. And for those wanting to watch this tournament Thursday and Friday on the Golf Channel, Saturday and Sunday on the Golf Channel and NBC for the Hilton Grand Vacations Tournament of Champions. You talked about competing and you want to win. You went to Q school last month. TPC Scottsdale. What did you take away from from your time there and working to see if you could get a card or not? Yeah, it's really for me. I, I think people, you know, look, it was a fun journey. I played 31 mm-hmm. days. I played golf 31 days 
out of 30. I played 31 times out of 33 days. After the mm -hmm. World Series was over, I went through 11 straight days, got through the first stage. was a great accomplishment. It was fun. Mm -hmm. But I do it to try to figure out where my game is. I love the yeah. grind and when it counts. I'm not doing it to try to – I mean, if a miracle were to happen and I would have got my card, it's not much I can do to change my lifestyle. I'm, I'm a broadcaster. That's my job. And so mm -hmm. I fit in golf when I can. But I really do it to learn, and and it was very humbling, and and probably I don't know how many more times I'll I'll probably try if ever again. But it did teach me a lot about my game and what I need to work on. I was gassed when I got there. I'll be honest. I wish I could have taken some time off, but I didn't know I was going to get there. And so I deal with the moment at the time. Uh, to give you a perfect example of the two different stages, in the first stage I never had over twenty five putts in any four rounds. In the last stage, I don't think I had any rounds of anything under 37 putts Ooh. so that's a big difference yeah uh, those guys do it their lifetime they're grinding away it's it's an unbelievable experience but there's no way no way that i was ever going to try to compete at that level you know i played in a lot of those events um <laughs> and and i was honored to be part of it and and i learned a lot i i'm a guy that learns through failure and i i'm motivated by that because i don't think if you go through it thinking everything's going to be great I just have some reality checks and that was a reality check for me. Uh, and that's okay. Yeah. And, and the whole point of this is to learn and get better at what you do. And obviously you're, you're passionate about not only competing, but about golf as well. And, and I am curious, who's the best non-professional golfer you've ever faced off with on the course? You know, uh, as some of the people I mentioned, you know, Jeff McNeil is a current player. Mm -hmm. Um, Tyler Clipper just, I mean, there's some people that just 50 yards by me and I was never short. <laughs> right. So, um, but I think Mark, Mark Mulder and, and, and Marty Fish are the two that, that, and Tony Romo, Tony Romo's, I guess, again, we're talking about guys that are 15 years younger than me, mm -hmm. but I still think that I can compete on a daily basis. On a daily basis, they would beat me a little bit more than I would win, but I still feel like it's a tremendous challenge when you go up against them and, um, you know, my schedule is my schedule. I fit in golf when I can. I play a lot of uh, more casual golf than I do practicing. And now that I've kind of got new hips and I can train again, we'll see. You know, I want to start shooting my age when it's 65. I got nine more years to shoot my age and see how many years I can do that. That'll be a, a, a fantastic goal to work towards as you have these new hips and can get back into that routine. Uh, going to that day job real quick. When you kind of zoom out and look at Major League Baseball last year and some of the rule changes, overall, what was your opinion of were those successful? Were, was shortening the game worth changing how it's played? And, and kind of your takeaways on that last year. Oh, absolutely. The industry was suffering in ways that, you know, they were exposing some things through analytics that um, long-term the game was going to suffer from. And I think mm -hmm. every sport goes through changes. See, People and historians of baseball, we were always slow to changes, and it's the most kind of, you know, was America's game. Every other sport has made thousands of changes compared to baseball. So when you make wholesale changes, people just lose their mind as if, mm -hmm. you know, no other sport has ever done this. When an entity and a, and a sport loses the ability to obtain or retain, you know, fans, in other words, like in football, they've made so many changes in football that they realize if they lose their quarterback, they've lost their product. So they made a lot of rule changes that a lot of people and the players that played the game think are foolish, but for the entity and the entertainment of the game and the industry, they had to do certain things to, to, to keep their, their quarterbacks upright. 
in basketball. They made all kinds of changes defensively and offensively to create action and, and more things. So, you know, I grew up in the era in basketball when 78-76 was the final score. Now that's halftime. <laughs> so you have to be able to adjust and change, and baseball had to do the same thing because the time of game was becoming so bad in the industry of fans that that's really what the data was showing. So they've created changes that put action back in the game, and they've taken uh, the player and, and their special talents and put them at the forefront again. Otherwise, we were looking at home run, strike out, and walk. That's it. You know, there was no action. So as a broadcaster who played in the, an era where there was obviously different times and different places and rules that, that we, you know, you as a player are only going to play with what the rules are giving you. So I don't blame the players. I think the philosophy of the industry was taken over and the rule changes made people change their philosophy. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And the purists in the game will 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 appreciate the game and the action and the athleticism that's in the game way more now than they did even last year or two years ago. Yeah, and, and talking about how the game has changed a little bit, you had the Atlanta Braves strikeout record, 276 strikeouts in 1996 when you won the Cy Young. And Spencer Strider broke that record last year with 281 but he did it with remarkable efficiency, over 13 and a half strikeouts per nine innings. Do you think that baseball's trending more towards pitchers getting better and better at getting strikeouts, or is Spencer Strider somewhat of a special player and an anomaly? Well, he's definitely special. Yeah. Uh, he would have had phenomenal success in any era, but here's mm -hmm. the difference. When you have a philosophy from the top down that teaches, okay, pitching is ahead of hitting, so all we got to do is the fastest way to get a score is to hit a home run. We don't care if you strike out. If that's the byproduct and there's no penalties for that, then guys don't care about striking out. So strikeouts have never been higher, and they've never been more, um, I don't want to say easier to attain, but if you've got great stuff and command, which is a little bit missing in our pitching industry because we really have great stuff, they're teaching great stuff. They're not really teaching command. And so analytics is driving all this, and, and it is what it is. So players are trying to adhere to it. And you, you're going to sacrifice something if that's your philosophy. And the teams that win championships, I've been doing this a long time now, mm -hmm. teams that win championships aren't in the top five in strikeouts, aren't even top ten in strikeouts, because you're exposing yourself to an opportunity of elite pitching at that time of the year that you don't have a chance to recover, recover from. So when you have a Spencer Strider on the mound and you can get him in the postseason and he's healthy, good luck. <laughs> and that's that that benefited me in the, my run with the Atlanta Braves because I could live more in the strike zone with stuff. But the bottom line is this is an industry now that has tr trying to learn how to adjust and turn. Mm -hmm. You don't turn the Titanic really fast. It takes a long time to turn the Titanic. And you'll see people get back to more contact and a more level plane and not a one-plane swing. And you'll see pitchers that if they want to stay healthier and pitch longer – they're going to learn how to do things not at a max effort level. But until that happens, strikeouts are going to always be part of the game, and pitchers are going to have the upper hand uh, for a while until there's a big shift in how hitters attack the baseball. And, again, if you get on base and steal, you start combating some of that leverage that was never there before. Talk about somebody who had the upper hand. It feels like during your time, you were kind of lucky to have a defensive player behind you in Andrew Jones that was played at such a high level. As of this morning on public ballots, he's about 71% vote share for the Hall of Fame. Uh, what makes him deserving of a spot in the National Baseball Hall of Fame? Yeah, this has always been one of my things. It's going to sound so biased because, you know, I was an advocate for Freddie McGriff, and, of course, he played for us. And then I've always been an advocate, the greatest center fielder I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Look, I'm not old enough to see the Willie Mays and everybody else, and I didn't really get to see 
uh, Ken Griffey Jr. in his heyday. I played against someone who was older and then a little bit of a cross interleague when it started. But I'm telling you right now, there's no way that you could play center field for a 10-year period and do the things offensively that, that Andrew Jones did. Now, here's where the rub is got maybe in the crosshairs of why he's not been in the Hall of Fame is the last five years were not great for Andrew Jones. And had injury taken him after his 10th year, it would be a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer. And I still I think navigating that is why voters may be having a little hard time with some of those numbers. But he is single-handedly with me, I was spoiled. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. a fly ball pitcher, and I could know that if I pitched and kept the ball in the middle of the ballpark, there's no chance he didn't run it down. So I benefited from it. And I'm, I'm again, look, I don't have a vote, and right. uh, I think there's a lot of discussion on that conversation with Andrew Jones. I think he's going to get in, but we'll see if it's this year or the following year. Yeah. All right. All right. John, you're there in Orlando, the Hilton Grand Vacation Tournament of Champions. Tea time is tomorrow. Do you know who you're playing with yet? Not yet. The draft's tonight. There's a pro-am tomorrow, and then we have four grueling, fun, torturing, <laughs> whatever you want to say. That That's kind of the way I look at this this grind of a four-day mm-hmm. tournament. And so getting paired with with some of the LPGA greatest is such a – look, I, again, I just watch their swing. I emulate it. I try to – on the fly, mm-hmm. I'm a field kind of pitcher, feel kind of golfer. And so I, I, I think this is going to be a, a blast because I do look forward – I want Mother Nature to bring everything everything she has. I want it to be tough, blowing. I want it to be nasty, but it, because then I feel like that levels the playing field for me. If it's beautiful and sunny and warm, well, then the elite golfers that I mentioned are going to have the upper hand. So I'm looking for all kinds of hats on and freezing and wind. I'm loving it. Yeah. Which is harder to deal with, wind on the pitching mound or wind on the golf course? Uh, wind on the uh, golf course. Uh, there's so much at the mercy of that little golf ball going in the air and flighting it. You know, I, I was a um, – I did not like cold pitching at all. I mean, I grew up in Michigan. When I got to Atlanta, boy, I loved it being hot. And I, I'd rather be hot than cold. And I, my, some of my worst games were in the cold weather. And then cold usually brings about wind, so it's a combination of both. When you're holding the baseball, you don't want it to feel like a cue ball. And that's what it felt like when it got cold. Fortunately for me, in most of our postseasons, I only had a couple games where it was miserable. Um, the beginning of the season was always tough, tough for me going to Chicago or some of those places where it's 38, 40 degrees. But golf and wind is definitely um, way harder than, than yeah. throwing into wind or downwind. But maybe it could be the great equalizer this week. So, folks, it, in Orlando, tickets are available now for the Lake Nona Country Club for the Hilton Grand Vacation Tournament of Champions. If you want to watch Thursday and Friday on the Golf Channel, Saturday and Sunday on the Golf Channel and NBC. John, thank you for your time. Best of luck this weekend. My pleasure.